0: On this episode of The Picture of Wealth, Dustin sits down with
1: Joel Sherlock, a successful entrepreneur and investor, to talk about what freedom means to him. That to me is is freedom. Right if I want to take a vacation, you know, can I? About hiring the right people, I hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. We don't hire smart people so we can tell them what to do. And what makes businesses move And people have started to vote with their dollars, which makes companies move. So tune in and catch all this and more. Start living more of your life now. That
0: is the voice of Joel Sherlock, who is the CRO or Chief Revenue Officer of a company called Vitalis Extraction. Now, in this podcast, we go through all things like how he traveled 300 days of the year and what tech tool he uses to monitor his sleep, to how to running an effective team, to Investing in real estate and what sort of markers of great investment uh, or what is a great investment and how to spot one to uh, all sorts of things like his history uh, of his father being in the life insurance business and how he uses those past knowledge nuggets to run an effective business partnership with, uh, you know, once multiple partners, now just one partner. And also explore the interesting world of extraction, which I thought it was all about. The exciting world of cannabis and how they extract actually food or caffeine out of certain things using their proprietary machines that they've built and how the world is adopting this sort of technology. It's a great podcast. I really enjoyed the the journey and uh, I hope you enjoy it as well. I'm excited to have Joel Sherlock on the show today. I've you know, known Joel for over 20 years and seen all sorts of career moves, shivits, shivits that's a new word, uh, pivots and shifts. And uh, his latest venture is Vitalis Extraction, and uh, that's got a whole uh, story behind it. And I'm excited to have you on the show today, Joel.
1: Thanks for having me. Shivits, I like it. We should keep I, that.
0: <laughs> so... Um, before we we get started, uh you and I had a great uh chat a while back. And this is gonna debunk maybe some of the lifestyle, wealth focus that I uh <laughs> I tout on the show. But I know that we're gonna get into some some good stuff, but let's let's uh, warm up a little more traditional with uh, you know, give us the the where are you at right now with with your business, Vitalis, what is it? Um You know, this is public knowledge on there. Your your revenues, twenty five to fifty million. Maybe they're different. Maybe it's confidential. But that I did find online. But uh, (laughs) definitely uh, interesting. And uh, you're running a big team, and I think that will be very inspiring for our audience. So thanks a lot for being here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Always fun. So yeah, Vitalis Extraction Technology. We are we are a technology and manufacturing company. Um, We make proprietary extraction equipment. So like. Big pressure vessels, you know lots of really complex uh, extraction machines that work in pharmaceuticals, flavorings, food industries, um, you know beer cannabis has been a big market for us, so we use carbon dioxide and ethanol to essentially extract from botanical materials. we don't do the extractions ourselves, we design and customize the equipment, and then you know companies like valens or you know um Curly for you know, the, those big guys, would, would we actually make the equipment for those companies?
0: Okay, so that's uh, you know, and I learned something, I, I thought it was strictly cannabis, but uh, you know, just enlighten us with some of the other technologies that that you in the food industry, in, yeah, uh, you know, coffee,
1: uh, huge, you know, right? So, coffee decaffeination is is kind of Done really three ways, right? It can be done: Swiss water, which would be like you know a, a specific process. Uh, it's done in some areas with like dimethyl chloride, which is like really really nasty chemicals, and then supercritical CO two. Um, so you know we we do have uh, there's a couple of coffee companies that that we work with. One that's really interesting where they they actually take spent coffee. So you know like after it's been roasted and then you know it's been served. Basically, they take that, they extract out the remaining coffee oils, um, and then they sell those to the cosmos, you know, cosmeceutical world as as it's called. Um, and then the the actual bone dry, like the the raffinate, is milled into a coffee flour, which is vegan, high in protein, really really cool stuff. It's called Ground Up. They're based out of uh, Calgary. Really really cool company. We are, we are Ground investors. Up.
0: Yeah. We. Uh- well, as a coffee drinker, and I'm sure many people in the podcast are probably sipping, uh, yep, there you go. I've had mine this morning. <laughs> Unpack the coffee thing again, the the decaffeination because it's it's always kind of like uh, fascinating to me how they actually do it, and it tastes kind of close.
1: Well, so actually that's that's one of the big things that we're working on right now is looking at, you know how do we extract the caffeine and leave the rest of the flavonoids and, you know, all the other pieces that are, you know, that, that make this varietal different from that varietal, right? So, so that's actually a, a big piece, right? Swiss water does, uh, apparently it will, you know, I, again, I'm no coffee tasting expert. I just know if I like it and would have it again or not. <laughs> um, but you know, that's one of the things we're, we're looking at right now is how do you keep more of that flavor profile, but still remove all the caffeine?
0: Right, so is there any sort of specific coffees, not to name names, but the guy should be more, uh, I, you know, I just learned the other day about organic seeds and how, uh, you know, in a drought scenario right now, where they will put Roundup on the actual field to uh, slow the growth to wait for the water. Uh, and again, it's been a heat wave, really? but yeah, so in in some non organic, you know, setups, that's what they do. And so I can't remember the term for it. You know, foodies would be telling me, but you know, they were you know, the the farm they were explaining to me how you know that might upset your tummy, you know, or your stomach with eating certain grains uh because of the process. Um, and I have to look up what the word is. It starts with G, but you think way, way back in the process of eating your food, you're like, why do I, I eat bread, this bread, and it doesn't give me a stomachache, or I eat a grain like rice or einkorn or you know, all this stuff. Well, it could be the process right back to how it's uh thing. So kind of, you know, coming back full circle, the is there like the whatever big word you use to decaffeinate coffee, die. Yeah. Oh no, that's is. just
1: one of the chemicals they use, which which we don't work with, right? We're looking so, to clean up a lot of those processes.
0: So would there be anywhere in the packaging if you're buying coffee to know if that has been used in the process?
1: No. And I mean that's <laughs> that's really for food, where what, what I'm really interested in. Like our, our life sciences team, like our, our food team, really has sort of three legs, right? There's there's this big push. Into you know alternative proteins, right? So a lot of these, you know, like uh, the Impossible Burger, and and you know, like Very Good Butcher was another cool company, right? They're innovating new products. So people want like this color out of beets, or they want this protein out of lentils, which will make their vegan cheese stretchy. Like, so that that's cool science. It's it's interesting, novel, new uh, applications for our technology. There's also you know just cleaning up traditional industrial processes right like what you're talking about is is something that a lot more people are looking into now it's not just is it organic but like where was it grown how was it made how was it processed you know like people care more about that information and so now you know the the big manufacturers are like hey we we may not want to use hydrocarbons to extract this right we might want a cleaner extraction process because that's what the customer's looking for, and people have started to vote with their dollars, which makes companies move. Yeah, well, um,
0: we won't get into that. Uh, so I think right now in, in today's current, Im, Im, you know, in social political environment, but I, <laughs> I think it's it, you're you're leading into a, an interesting space of you know the podcast is a health and wealth uh, yep. setup, and, and is there anywhere that you're that like you guys get your Facts, I'll call it. When you're trying to like, oh. or the the science team that you have, when they're trying to figure out, you know, processes or.
1: So where know. I get my facts is from the science team, right? <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, we, you know, it's like it, it's the whole adage of you know you talk about the team, right? It's like you know hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. We don't hire smart people so we can tell them what to do. Right. And and and. Oh, go ahead. Well, and, and like a lot of the research institutions too. And and the cool part for us is we still have our like venture arm and like, you know, I still am, am, am an active investor. But a lot of that too will be like passionate entrepreneurs who bring us an idea, right? Which was, you know, ground up where, where how we ended up working with them is they had a concept and they were like, hey, could you help us figure out how to do this? And, you know, this is what we want to do. How much coffee oil can we get out? And, you know, and so then we just help them sort of design the process on our equipment um, to, to get out what they need.
0: I, I didn't uh, realize that. So is there any uh, latest investments that you've made that you can talk about? Or is it all somewhat proprietary? Or is there anything that... No, I mean, uh, that,
1: that would be one of the, one of the really cool ones. And, and you know why it's so interesting right now, it's very topical because all of their products have just hit the market. So their spent grain flour, their coffee flour, their pancake mix, You know, it's all on ground up ECO Ventures is the company's name.
0: Okay. So it's Ground Up ECO Ventures. Now, uh, you know, for, for any of the investment techies in the, list, in the audience listening, when you make an investment, is there a, a, a standard process or a standard operating thing? Or is it Joel and his team's intuition? Or uh, how does that work? Where, you know, or what do you look for in a good investment?
1: Oh, I mean, ultimately for us, it's, it's team. It's team first. Right. I mean, when we're looking at an when I'm looking at an investment, if all I'm bringing to the table is money, then it's probably not the right investment. Right. I mean, if we can bring cash, know-how, expertise, market, marketing, you know, whatever that may be, um, then, you know, it makes number one, it makes our investment dollars a a different color, you know, to that entrepreneur. But for us, it also gives us a, a really interesting kind of alpha right? I mean, because now we're de-risking it because we can bring money to the table, but we also bring this expertise or manufacturing or, you know, whatever it may be. And, and it just sort of supercharges the business that we're going into, which, right. you know, helps us grow the investment.
0: And have you had any investments that have failed?
1: Uh, and yeah, I like to call them effective. You know, we just found effective things that don't work, right? I've <laughs> never, never made any mistakes. I've just invested heavily in my education.
0: Yeah, that's a Tim Ferriss uh, uh, thing. But (laughs) um, is there any any learning lessons out of investments uh, that are a pattern that you say, okay, now I now I see things quickly that uh, I will not make that mistake again? Or
1: if I look at like Joel in his twenties to you know even in the early thirties, it was just like run gun. Hey, that sounds like a great idea. Good, I'm in. Right? It's like where's the business plan where's the scrutiny right you know like let's what what are the if what are the risks here right what 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 you know and here are the projections right like we joke that i think there's more lies that are that are told in in excel sheets than anywhere else in the world right of like <laughs> here's what's going to happen look at this hockey stick growth curve that everybody yeah. has right but what what are the chances of hitting that right what are the risks what does the competitive landscape look like i mean you know, I mean ultimately in in one of my real estate companies, right? Like it, it got to a point where I'm going, gosh, I don't know if I want to, you know, we we're building this thing up. It's 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 a huge business, but you know, I'm not really loving it. I'm not enjoying it. It feels a lot like work. And that for me is is kind of a, a tipping point. I love to work, right? But I it has to be on the right projects and in the right things.
0: Right. And so uh thanks for that setup because you just are we're gonna drive right into uh what I was hoping to talk about it. In your case, you know, again, we talk about the podcast. It's the unofficial mantra that I say almost all the time, which is, you know, we're trying to help people live more of their life now, yet be, res- you know, f- responsible for their future. Uh, you know, and and that, you know, I've always been a work-life balance and, you know, try to get your work days, you know, condensed and, and maybe take a Friday or two off, um, you know, and, and then, you know, find all this balance in your life and you don't put everything into, not necessarily, not everything into the business, but you find ways to to find that balance, like you say. So in your case, yeah. uh, you know, when we were pre-chatting, you know, you were you're were, you just have this an amazing passion for the business and the project and and generating a team and a and a growing business. And I think that's the balance that I haven't talked about enough in that as entrepreneurs, you have some sort of DNA or fiber that says to you, I want to go. I'm competitive, I wanna just hard charge and, and I and I wanna go and grow. And so in your case, you know what is that driving factor that 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 helps you put in the long hours and and,
1: I, I, you know what I don't know. <laughs> I, it's just always been in me, right? right? The the and and I've gotten a lot clearer on it, right? I mean, I love building businesses. I love looking at the ideas. I love you know just that that startup ethos is is fantastic, right? Ultimately. Growing new teams or new businesses or or new ideas and and seeing them through is something I'm super passionate about. Right? It, it's uh, it, it's the 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 mental challenge on it, the learning. Right? Like, what did I know about coffee before doing that deal? Very little, other than yeah. you know, I drink it. You know, I like this taste better <laughs> than that taste, whatever it may be. So it's the, part of it for me is the learning, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to be able to have a, like a hypothesis and then put something together and then have it validated by clients or customers, um, you know, I love that, right from From an investment strategy, like I love building these, and then we love you know owning or having a good base, you know, that business that's consistent, right? Because the businesses that go up also probably will have some fluctuation to them, and that can be super stressful. But if it's underpinned yep. with you know, good, consistent revenue that's growing. That's, you know, that's kind of the, the dream.
0: It keeps you, it keeps you in it. And how, like you, so in the, Vitalis was founded in what year?
1: Uh, six years old, so. So, and. Do the math backwards now.
0: Five years, four years ago was, was the marijuana gold rush uh, at the, or the, was that sort of when it got legalized? I can't remember the exact sort of time.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, I think the early, you know, it was 2014 when, when the ACMPR and then, you know, those regulations kind of came in, um, in into play, right? But, you know, at that time I was in the real estate world. I'm, I wasn't and really, I'm still not a huge cannabis user, right? I'm, right. I'm a big wine guy. Yeah. Um, but it was a tenant who came to us in, and said, hey, you know, 10 bucks a square foot for that warehouse, I'll give you 12. And I thought that's terrible negotiating. Why? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, we have a license from the government to grow cannabis. And I started laughing. I was like, yeah, sure. And yeah, I got a bridge in Brooklyn. On.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you know, like they had a letter from the mayor and the chief of police and, you know, they had their resumes and they were like, they, they made a good case. And I was like, yeah, I'm yeah, not interested. Have a nice day. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, started checking into it. Cause I was like, this can't be real. Like I, I totally thought I'm like, this is good Photoshop though. Yeah. But, you know, Walter Gray was our mayor at the time and he and I sat on a board together and, you know, I ended up, you know, chatting with Walter and he's like, oh, he knew who the guys were. They they were reputable. And I was like, wow. So then, you know, called Health Canada, got my education on it, um, you know, called the bank and said, hey, if, if we put a tenant in here that's a legal cannabis business, you know, do we still have a mortgage or how's that going to work? So it was in the very, very early days. But, you know, I... I still can't grow plants. I'm successful. I'm very good at killing them, not, not good at keeping them. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: but I was always in the ancillary side, right? Like equipment finance. We were in the auto world for a while, real estate world. And, you know, like I, I understood that side of things. Mm-hmm. So we started financing and investing in those kind of companies, lights, fertilizers, um, and then a- extraction machines. Right. Um, and, you know, you saw the market kind of coming up the service, and this is kind of how a lot of these ideas come up, the service we were getting from some of these manufacturers was terrible. Right. You know, there was one who, who sold us a piece of equipment. And then when we called them for some help, they're like, well, where is it? And I said, well, it's in a company we're invested in, in the cannabis space. And they're like, yeah, they're not built for that. So we don't service them. I'm like, but you sold it to me for that yeah. use. And so it was really out of like frustration where I wanted. To streamline everything into one platform, and um, you know, went out to the manufacturers that existed, and ultimately they they told me no customization and no deals. So I wow. went to a friend of mine who was a, an engineer in the oil and gas industry and said, "Hey, could you build me a couple of these?" And what do you think? He came up with some amazing designs, and uh, off we went.
0: <laughs> so, so that was what you know. What I was going to notes. Well, that, that it, it, it really. Uh, it draws light on that those years, though, you were on the hockey stick, and you were having to build a team Huge. extremely, you know, quickly, and uh, and burnout and stress and all that stuff was was a legit sort of right on the line oh. uh, through there. So, it has it has it leveled off? Have have you have you just pivot You know, gone to a different growth channel, or or is um. that space? correct me if I'm wrong, has slowed
1: down. So, the, well, it, I mean, yes, for sure. But we've kind of built a great team behind us, right? We've had to change the business, right? We used to manage all of our service for the globe, right? Like we have offices on, on four continents. Um, and, you know, we used to run all of our service team from here with borders and everything that's going on right now, we've had to, to change that up. And now we have service techs in the US and service techs in Latin America and service techs in, um, in Europe So, and, and, and even Australia. So that side of things has changed, right? I mean, during those crazy, crazy growth years, I mean, I was traveling I like 250, 300 days a year on the road, which was so amazing and fun. And at times, but super taxing. And, you know, you got to be really, really conscious of like health and sleep and, you know, right. uh, all of those things. So, um, you know, we, again, that came to a grinding halt with, with everything that's happened. It's, it's starting back up now in a pretty major way. And, and I'm, I'm excited and terrified at the same time. Um, but overall, I mean, you know, the, the industry has shifted right? A lot of these, the consolidation is happening, right? The big players who are more sophisticated buyers are starting to go state by state or they're, you know, like Redican selling to Hexo for 950 million, you know, was because they have a great system, right? They they are making money and they are proven professionals in the space. And, right. that, you know, they, it shows with their market share and all the products they've been able to put out and keep out.
0: So, uh- Side tangent about the travel. Um, yep. Again, you look like a fit guy. We haven't seen each other in person in probably a year. But uh, how do you balance that? How do you stay reasonably fit? <laughs> uh, have, have you seen these? No.
1: This is one of my favorite things. So it's called an aura ring.
0: Okay, so it's a ring. I For anyone who can't see the screen, yeah, it's a ring. Got it. Okay. So,
1: but it tracks like heart rate, body temperature, uh, sleep, which was a big one. Cause I mean, there would be times where in a week I'd be in four different time zones. Right. I didn't like, I know about myself that I can push through when needed, but if you're always pushing through, that's not healthy and not sustainable. Right. So you got to have that balance. Even when you're in a sprint, you got to make sure that, you know, you're, you're eating right. You're, you know, getting those workouts in when you can and prioritizing those things—that's something that I arguably I can be better at. Um, but the sleep side is is hugely important.
0: And does the Aura Ring? Uh, oh, I'll come back to that. So, have you figured out how to work out on a plane? Have you figured out any like breathing techniques or? Uh-
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? I, I I I could see if I can find that. There's just some good things for like circulation, right? Like just even standing up and like doing some calf raises on some like long flights. Just, it's not about like getting fit there. That's about just right. getting your blood circulation going.
0: Um, or being mindful of it. So tell me more about this aura rig. So uh, you have an app on your phone, I assume.
1: You got an app on your phone. I mean, it gives you like a sleep score, but more so for me, it was just, you know, if I got three days of poor sleep, I might cancel some meetings and like, just make sure I clear some space to get caught up. Right. Because it's going to catch up with you.
0: Yeah. Um, on, on that note, when you manage, so help us understand the teams again. And so, what divisions are there? And then, how many people kind of are? You know, I know you oversee a, a team of a management team, but like, how many people yep. are you coordinating?
1: So, I mean, up up until last month, I mean, I I was our chairman when we started the company for the first four years. Um, and, you know, I was kind of flying around figuring out new markets. I spent a lot of time kind of, you know, when we're going to the U.S., gate great, how are we going to tackle that? Latin America, how are we going to tackle that? Europe, how are we going to tackle that? Um, and then, you know, over the last 18 months, I've, I've been our CEO. So there, you know, engineering, science, sales, marketing, finance would kind of be the, the main hubs and then, you know, manufacturing and production. And then quality. You know, it, it, we have quite a flat organization. Um, so there were, you know, there were a lot of direct reports that, that took up a lot of time. But luckily, we have, you know, great people in the company. And then very recently, we've brought on a new CEO. So um, I've just, you know, I, my focus is now narrowed down to our sales and marketing teams. Um, and then, you know, our CEO is looking after the rest, which has been great.
0: Um, are you excited, nervous, scared? of uh relinquishing that control or or do you have it mapped out
1: you know what i i've got it mapped out and i'm super excited for it right because there was you know one thing i'm really good at is is owning my weaknesses right and and like i love those new opportunities i love the sales side i love the marketing side right and then the ceo needs to be kind of that metronome of consistency and drive right i mean that 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 guy and so you know Carlos got way more experience than I have um you know this is the first manufacturing company that that you know I've owned so I'm not an expert in in that there are things that I don't see things that he just inherently picks up right which is fantastic cuz he's been at the helm of four over you know the past 30 years of his career He's been the CEO of, and and like big companies, one was a power company selling to the defense industry. The other one was like fiber optic networks and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, he's got a lot of experience, you you know, he's made a lot of the mistakes that I probably would. He's already made them. So happy to hand the keys over to him and not have to make them again.
0: Do, uh, is, uh, and you don't have to answer if it's not appropriate, but is there, is it a board? Do you have a, like a, a, board above the management, or is it you and a team of people that own it? How does how does that? So
1: work? yeah, I mean, you know, myself and my business partner are the board. So the CEO reports to the board. Gotcha. Um, so you know that's actually a unique a unique one, right? Because I am CRO, Chief Revenue Officer, and then I report to the CEO, and then he reports to the board, which is gotcha. which is also me. <laughs> so interesting dynamic. Something that we talked a lot about through the interview process, right? To to have two active founders in a company. And, and to bring in, you know, a CEO, um, it, it's really important that you do hand those reins over and now, you know, like just deal with it on a board level.
0: Yeah. And that's, uh, and then maybe in the future, you know, if it, you know, you go public or you do whatever, then that, uh, you know, is a, a new kettle of fish. But, um, on the, on the, um, the sales side, is there any? so you were, uh, I'll call it a successful salesperson at BMW back uh, in the day. Is there any old BMW sales tricks, stories? Uh, you know, obviously they're a great you know, organization uh, with, a, with a great brand, but uh, is there anything you still use today that you learned in those old trenches?
1: <laughs> you know what? I mean, I, I was successful in the car business, I believe, because I didn't need people to buy and like taking away that pressure. Right. And, and that was really where I first saw it. Right. So, I, you know, I was flipping real estate and then the bank wanted me to have a job. One of my business mentors is in, the, is in the auto world and they were opening a new BMW store. And I'd never sold cars before, but I was, you know, so a couple of things. I can't sell anything I don't believe in. Right. Uh, you know, I can't sell anything I'm not passionate about. And I was very successful, I think, because people come in with this preconceived notion that car, car salesmen are going to like jump on them and attack them. And a lot of them do. Whereas like, uh, you know, I, I was sitting there like, you don't have to buy a car today, do you? Because, you know, just like, let's, let's drive some things. Let's have some fun. Let's see what happens. If you need one, great. Yeah. If you don't, great. But that lack of pressure, I feel, was what drove the early success. But the early success and then the referrals from that, it got to a point where, you know, I wasn't taking ups as they would be called, right? Like people who walked in, I was just dealing with my referred clients and that was it.
0: Right. And so is there, is there anything that you remember about like, oh, wow, that sort of worked and you use today. That's sort of like a long-standing sales, oh. sales and marketing is your, you know, real estate. We haven't even talked on, but you were you know, great at that. Um,
1: it it yeah. really, for me, it boils down to, you know, I, I, it's the customer experience, right? I mean, what, what does it look like for the customer who, whatever business you're in, right? How is that experience for them? And would they tell their friends about it? And, and, you know, if you just pour yourself into that, then I think that drives results. And then that drives, you know, other people who are looking for that type of experience, right? If it's real estate, if it's cars, if it's manufacturing, right? The nuances of what makes a good customer experience are different between those. But the fact that somebody wants to be looked after, right? And they want to get a good deal and they want to feel good about what they've purchased. All of that is just universal doesn't matter if it's Great. investments or, yeah. you know, and I, and I think oftentimes people are looking for that whiz bang, you know, what's, if, if I buy these ads on LinkedIn, then my business will explode. Right. I mean, ultimately, if, if you look after customers and they want to work with you, then usually that's good business.
0: Yeah. The, uh, you know, back then in the real estate, say you're in the six figures of, you know, sort of income. Now your, your revenues, you're dealing with more massive numbers in the tens of millions is is it any is, is does your mindset change, or is it just different numbers like obviously before if you know you're you know, real estate you know you're running a business, yeah, numbers might be smaller, but you're still running a business, but the numbers are much bigger loans might be bigger. How does that feel and look
1: um you know, I guess it goes back to one of my business mentors, Peter Thomas, had told me early on, you know, because we were we were doing real estate deals. I was, you know, flipping single family homes and he was doing, you know, big apartment buildings and different things. And he goes, Joel, it's the same game, more zeros. You yeah. know, now living it now, it you know, you, you really have to understand what you're doing and where those numbers are coming from. Because, you know, here, if you do take, you know ten million dollars of debt, or you know you spend a million dollars on marketing. if you get that wrong, that's pain that's painful. So you know a little bit more time, thought, you know and and ultimately, it's bigger, but you still want to test with smaller numbers, right? If you're trying a new trade show, you know don't sign up for if you know a hundred at a time, try one, you know see right. if it works. Try a second and see if you can double your results, right? and then go ahead and and like, Weave it into into the fabric of what you're doing.
0: Your 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 father was in the life insurance game. Is that correct?
1: Dad Dad or was, was yeah. Manual life.
0: So you uh, again, life insurance would be about the pinnacle of uh, risk management. Uh, is there anything you remember, like from <laughs> his upbringing and his kind of mentorship that that you use now uh, in your risk management of your business? And uh, when we're obviously when we're coaching uh, people, we talk yeah. about if your risk isn't managed. It's hard to make a uh, opportunity decision or or an investment decision from a place of offense. You are you're when you go have to make the decision to buy or invest in something you're going to be uh, or buy a business or make a career shift. Yeah. If you're if if you're exposed, if your income stopped because you got disabled or or died, and your your family would be impacted, and that may stall up you making an investment decision. So so I mean I would
1: I would go now. Yeah, so I, I guess two things, right? Like my grandfather was also in that industry; he was okay. an, an icon. Uh, so you know, I mean, I, I think in my first year of college, they handed me a book that was written by Herbert Vivian Williams. Who, like, okay. there's the only one dude on the planet with that name. <laughs> uh, and and so you know, I, I was raised with that, and and really understood it. I mean, I I look at it a little differently, right? Because you know, when when you look at the insurance that we have, right? So we are talking big numbers at this point. And, you know, if I were to get hit by a bus, it's a dark concept, but it's what we sort of talk about, you know, then like we've got a family trust structure. So, you know, all of a sudden James, my business partner would be, you know, potentially in business with the beneficiaries of my trust, right? Not yes. me anymore. Or you'd have to go and scramble and and raise some cash to buy out those shares. Right. And yep. same thing for me, almost even, even more so, right. Is is James is our lead engineer and, and he's, you know, he's, he's the, he's the, uh, Tony Stark of our organization, right. He has all the ideas, designs, all the tech. Um, and so, you know, if, if he were to get hit by a bus, you know, then, you know, being in business with, with his, his partner, um, you know, wouldn't be the same for the business. Right. Because she's she's not a mechanical engineer. She's, you know, it's all those things. So, you know, we kind of manage it in in like business continuity would be really, really difficult if if that were to happen to either one of us. So, you know, we have the insurance in place where it's like, okay, well, we don't have to strap the business or cash strap the business to try and buy out that that partner should anything happen. It's like the insurance is there. So you, you don't have to worry about it.
0: Yeah, which is is fantastic planning. It was who was the one that in you know encouraged that, or was that was it a lawyer, was it an accountant? Because a lot of business partners, yeah, uh, underestimate that. Uh, oh well, you know, if something happens, they'll just buy out whatever. Well, liquid cash from the in the form of life insurance is. Uh, and, and thanks for the setup, by the way, because that wasn't uh, you're talking about that. <laughs> but uh, you know, when when we do these type setups, uh, it's underestimated how much impact if James is gone or you're gone. That's a major shitty situation. So liquid cash and especially if it's term or it's permanent insurance like term is so cheap especially for most young people. Millions of dollars yes. is 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 a hundreds of doll- you know a couple hundred dollars a month. Well, totally. You know, was there who was the one that kind of enlightened you to, to take those steps?
1: <laughs> the, the honest story <laughs> there. Well, I, you know, I think a lot of people had told us to do it in the beginning, right? and and there was sort of a couple of things, you know, we, we did buy out one of our partners. So we went through that experience and then we started having that conversation of, Hey, uh, you know, we should probably get this together for us now. Um, you know, so we always had smaller policies, but, but, you know, something that's more specific around, you know, death or disability, um, you know, was, was something that was important to us, right. For, for business continuity, right. Because we have, you know, Seventy mortgages, like seventy people who who have put their trust in us, right? Right. To make sure that this business continues, that their career continues, that these paychecks clear, that the company grows, um, you know. So a lot of it is business continuity for us. That was a super yeah, important part. That's
0: that's uh, you know, I, I didn't actually realize that, but I guess that's a that's a whole revenue stream for the business as well. It's part of the sales, and that it's part of the financing of, so you've got a unit and just to kind of help people understand the extraction unit is this big thing on a skid, some are small, some are big, big tanks, uh, a couple of pumps, I assume, and uh, a power unit. How's, how's You're that bro. description?
1: You're a bro. <laughs> yeah, That's perfect. There
0: you go. Uh, and uh, and so, those units cost, how much does a unit cost on, or what's the range because you got small and big?
1: Yeah, your range is kind of like 300000 to like Over a million, right? For and then, and then our custom stuff, like some of these food applications we're talking about, that could be like we've got one design out right now, which would be a two-year build, and it's about a ten million-dollar project.
0: Right, and so this is not a skid. This is more of a facility.
1: That'd be a whole factory. A factory, you bet.
0: So uh, that person would finance. You guys are having to deal with, you know, banks, and then you're kind of the middle person. You take a bit on yourself. Uh, Is is that a is that like almost a, a model that you could use for, for other things? Like not only selling it, but I guess you have to do the financing to make the sale.
1: Is that, is that the question? So we, we actually, um, we have a separate entity for that, which is, you know, because there are different people who want to invest in, in, you know, equipment or asset-backed financing, right? So Spectrum Leasing is, you know, one of the companies and that's got a team specific to equipment finance. Because it can be very awkward to be um, the debt collector and the customer service agent at the same time. And you look at like a lot of other industries, right? Like auto is done that way, right? You go back to the BMW days, it's like BMW is there to sell you the vehicle and is there to service the vehicle. Make sure your experience is good. Make sure you want another one. Make sure you stay in the family, right? But they know that if they have finance and lease options, they'll sell more cars, so then the car is basically sold to BMW financial. They manage the payments. This this side manages the service and the right. experience.
0: And so yeah, so you got this this thing. And, and what you know, for the future, what is you know, with all the the global stuff and your growth and and are you able to sell are we back in BMW land where you've got such a great product that you know people are continually coming to you or are you expanding to other markets? And what are you going to have to do to do that?
1: So, yeah, I mean, you know, with this consolidation that's happening in, in hemp and cannabis, you know, ultimately, there are bigger facilities, higher throughput. And, you know, the regulations are, are only going one way, right? And that's really our bailiwick, right, is, is like high throughput. We, we made machines What's for throughput? professional operators. What's through like them? how much biomass you can get through the machine gotcha, in a day. Gotcha. Okay. You know, what, what you're, you know, what, what, so when you start to talk about like CapEx versus OpEx, right? So like how much it costs to buy the machine and how much it costs to run the machine. Those are two really, really important numbers. In the early days, it was like, how fast can I have one? Like right. our equipment is very expensive to buy and very inexpensive to run. Okay. Right. So if you look at like Coke or Pepsi, if, if they could save a penny per can, you know, they'd spend a hundred million dollars because the numbers make sense. Right. right? I'm just making those numbers up. Yeah. But that's, that's right. And, and so that's really when, when some of the early equipment that came out from, from some of our competitors, it was cheaper to buy, but way more expensive to operate. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, Hey, I spent 150,000 instead of 500,000. Um, But now I'm paying ten grand or fifteen thousand a month in solvents and different stuff because and whereas the CO two machine would have been you know a couple hundred bucks a month. So then there's like this this inflection point where it becomes more expensive to use the cheaper option.
0: Right, and then is that a so then you're not selling CO two so there's not your business model is built primarily on on sales servicing it after the fact but is there like a, a maintenance program that people sign up for maintenance levels
1: you to bet keep, yep to keep yeah so that's appreciate. that's a big part of it too you know much again keep going back to auto just because I'm, I'm a big car guy and yeah. <laughs> but you know it's like you, you can sell the car right there's that initial sale but then there's the servicing of it especially in, in industrial equipment like maintenance is not optional Right. And you've right. got to do that preventative maintenance to make sure that you don't have downtime because in a pharmaceutical facility, downtime can be very, very expensive. So, you know, their maintenance teams oftentimes on those sites will be, you know, the the most important person on the site, right? To say, hey, it's time to shut down. We got to change those pump seals. It's time to shut down. We've got to do this because they know if they run it too far and something breaks, the maintenance might take six hours, three hours, two hours, whatever but a downtime might take two days and that'll really throw off a production schedule.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I was going to go, I think we got a whole other podcast that we could do, but I I do uh, many of the listeners are, uh, you know, and and in sort of our sphere, real estate investment is a, a key part of the portfolio and something that, that we like as well. Is there on that front and what you've seen sort of in your, your history of good investments, is there good real estate investments that jump out or, and especially now, I know you, you still kind of look at real estate and, and make decisions, but is it harder to find good real estate now or where are we at in sort of the buying or, or where, what could people use as sort of the yeah. top two things to look for in buying investment real estate?
1: So, I, I mean, personally, I'll just, I've, I've shifted away from residential. And more towards commercial, okay, and that's just you know i mean the the cap rates are more attractive, um, like I love real estate, like that's the the boring, beautiful underpinning which allows you to kind of run at new ideas and new things because you have that kind of consistent income or, or you know that 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 equity that's there, so I love real estate, um but for me, I always look at it you know like. What's, what's the chance that it's going to be vacant, right? Because you look at like, well, let's have a cannabis example, right? Like if, if you invest in a, in a commercial facility that's really, really specific to just growing cannabis and that tenant fails and the chance of them failing in an emerging market is higher than if the guys are, you know, if it's a bakery that's been around for 30 years, right? right? It's a new business. So the chance of it failing is higher than an established business. And then, if they fail, it can only really be leased to another cannabis user. So that kind of specificity of of the product really terrifies me, right? Yeah, I'd rather have like here's a warehouse, and it could be used by Vitalis to manufacture extraction machines. It could be used by uh, you know a beverage storage company. It could be used by anyone, a welding company. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and so you know that kind of stuff is is really attractive.
0: So uh, I would say in your circle of competence or in strategic uses for your own business. And uh, we've got a few minutes left and I think that there's a, there's an interesting example. So uh, I live in Salmon Arm recently. There was, so if you want to just kind of jot this down uh, so 0.7 of an acre industrial lot, 7,000 square foot, uh, just basically uh, steel building, corrugated steel, Four 14-foot doors. Okay, so just a, uh, basically a big rectangle, high ceilings, built in 2007, okay? And yep. it's rented to search and rescue. Okay? Got and it. It's, a, it's, it's uh, one year into a 10-year lease. Beautiful. Okay, so uh, 1.35 is what it's listed for, okay? And okay. the rent uh, is about 5600 So I know people are listening like, I, I can't keep track. It's okay. The the net net of all, so it's all, a four cap. Yes, so three point actually eight or whatever it is. So it's it's pretty low uh, when you factor in all the expenses. Uh, that building, like if you're trying to get five and a half or five, should be one one one. You know, that building just sold for one two fifty. Yep. So that person is taking on basically yeah three point nine two or four. You know, depending on how you do the expenses. Basically pretty low cap rate. It, it, would
1: you, Search would and you rescue though. Yeah. Oh, so but I mean so one one
0: caveat. I gotta finish.
1: Yeah.
0: Nine years left on the lease, and the lease is only increasing like about two and a half percent a year. So the value, like in, when I was looking at it as an as an investment, I was thinking, Whoa, well, well, the, the price of the building will be worth double. And instead of having my money sitting in the bank making nothing, might as well have it sitting in this lot. But then the lease at year nine, 10 wasn't it hadn't increased. It wasn't that much more. Much. So how do you nav like like what so, for one, how do you navigate the cap rate? For two, you know, is a long lease a good idea or not?
1: Long leases can be great, but you you know what you're talking about is exactly what you need to look at, right? In 10 years from now, where do you expect rents to be? Right? I think they're gonna increase, especially in, in some elements of you know, what I know about Salmon Arms. So the, the guys at Valid Manufacturing are are very good friends. Right. Um, this, and so, you know, they're, I think Salmon Arms' largest employer, I believe. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, but the industrial land up there is a lot less than it would be here. The cap rates probably similar, right? I mean, to have a long lease like that and, and to have a safe tenant like that, like search and rescue isn't going to go bankrupt. Yeah. Right. They're they're funded. Right. Like Royal Bank as a tenant is is going to be a great tenant. So the cap right. rate will be less because the risk is less. Um, but yeah, you, you got to look at the whole deal, and you got to look at what else is happening in the market. And um, you know, I think there's probably some people listening to this seasoned real estate people who are like, "That's a brilliant deal," and there are other people <laughs> who are like, "I wouldn't touch it." It's That's just what totally the market. Right. What's what's your investment philosophy, and what are you looking at? Right.
0: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people I see in my clients right now, a lot of people have cash mm-hmm. and they're, they're saying, you know, it's been the bank, you know, stock market's fairly valued. Maybe it's going kind to of got more, maybe it's going to correct. Who knows residential real estate's gone up 30, you know, 2%. So, you know, probability of a continued increase before some sort of retraction, maybe it happens, but the probability is probably lower or yeah. higher that that, that it can't go again. Uh, you know, maybe I'll be putting my foot in my mouth, but, uh, with res with uh industrial you think okay well i can just instead of shifting the money put it into this property but when you think well but then i've got to, i've got to deal with it and it's it's kind of like the covid mentality of you know people not want to go back to restaurant jobs and they're just collecting their serb versus you know do i want the effort is the effort yeah. worth the money and and maybe we've or maybe i if you know show my bias have lost the longer term vision and need to kind of check back to it to say, you know, if if it keeps going up and the tenant, then that's a great investment.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I was having this conversation yesterday with, with a friend of ours who just, you know, over the last decade, he's amassed, I think six or eight properties. Right. And, you know, all of a sudden you're like, okay, Hey, you made a good lift on that, but you had to look after them for eight years and deal with all the tenants issues and uh, the flood here or the roof there or whatever that may be. So, Ultimately, I mean, when you really break it down after you've exited and you're like, okay, well, basically I had it for 10 years. I made this much money. So, you know, I can, can break, divide that by 10. And that's what you got paid to have your money tied up. Right. And, you know, commercial for me is, is far less management than, uh, than residential was, right? Like, you know, I look at even some of our facilities, like we never call the landlord. You just look after it. Right, it's like right. somebody's running their business. They're paying your taxes. If if taxes go up, you know, triple net leases, that's all on, on someone else. So yeah. I much prefer that for exactly what you're talking about. It's it's easier to manage and and less time out of uh, you know my day.
0: Yeah. Well, Joel, thanks. Uh, in closing, I ask every guest, uh, you know, what is your picture of wealth?
1: Oh, that's a great one. You know, I, I think ultimately, you know, it's freedom really, it boils down to freedom, location, freedom, you know, idea freedom. It's, it's that, uh, that's that concept that, you know, can I freely work on the things that I'm passionate about? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can I do that without worrying about how am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to pay my car payments? All those things. Right. That to me is, is freedom right? If I want to take a vacation, you know, can I, right? Can I, from a standpoint of, is the business set up in, in such a way? Cause there's time to me is my most valuable asset. Money is very important, but money to me is just a tool that allows me to better leverage time, better leverage, you know, different things. So yeah. For
0: well, you. I, I really appreciate uh, our time and uh, I'm sure we'll We'll follow you along and, uh, in the journey and hopefully uh, can get you for another podcast at, uh, at some point. So thanks, Joel, for, for sharing. all. Sounds you. good. You're here, thanks for having me. You're welcome. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelt S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.